1: Hello and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Ghost in the Shell and X-Men First Class episodes. On today's episode, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that James and our guest Ian recommended on last week's podcast – for Ian, that was Excel Saga, whereas James's recommendation was Gantz Volume 1. Um, and a little bit of housekeeping now. Apologies to any listeners who have read along with this week's recommendations, because... James got in touch after the last podcast and changed his recommendation. Um, This is the reason why. This is what he emailed me. He said, "Um, I went back and read it, and the first volume is so awfully paced that I can't, in good conscience, ask you to try and talk about it. They don't even finish their first mission by the end of the first volume, even though it's like 200 pages long. So the high concept doesn't make any sense until about midway through volume two so instead i have actually read um the ghost in the shell manga which james has changed his uh recommendation to um uh, but we'll get to excel and ghost in the shell later in the episode so apologies if anyone read gants but um maybe you got like midway through volume two and it all makes sense um okay but before we get to any of that let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week The Marvel Cinematic Universe has found its first non-like director, and refreshingly we won't have to wait until Black Panther to see their work. Taika Waititi, the Kiwi director of last year's brilliant vampire comedy What We Do in the Shadows, will be at the helm of Thor Ragnarok. Um, Given that he's primarily associated with comedy, Waititi seems like a left-field choice for what we're not expecting to be the most laugh-heavy film in Marvel's Phase 3. But then again, the Russo's are also best known for comedy before the Winter Soldier, and they are practically Kevin Feige's consiglieres at this point. Um, Waititi, for the record, does have a history with superhero movies, having played Hal Jordan's friend Tom in the probably best forgotten Green Lantern movie. Think that's a left-field choice? Well, DC have gone one better. The Hollywood Reporter are reporting that Seth Graham Smith is in talks to direct the upcoming solo Flash movie. Ezra Miller will star as the titular speedster in the film, scripted by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, Uh, but Lord Miller's departure to work on the upcoming Han Solo movie left a void in the director's chair. And while Graham Smith's better known as the author of works such as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, he has in fact directed two episodes of The Hard Times of R.J. Berger before, so there is that. And as for his history with superheroes, he's apparently provided a script polish on Fantastic Four, he wrote a Spider-Man handbook, and also wrote the comic Marvel Zombies Return, Hulk. Back to Marvel now, and this time we're talking about a project gaining a screenwriter. Joe Robert Cole, a name who's been close to Marvel projects for some time due to being part of the studio's in-house screenwriting program, is rumoured to be close to closing a deal to write the Black Panther script. The Wraps report also suggests that Marvel did in fact approach Ava DuVernay to direct, but they're now waiting until they have a finished script before they go out and look for a director again. With Chadwick Boseman in place as Black Panther and now a writer lined up, it it does seem like a director is the next logical step. To CV now, and back on our Batman Begins episode, we discussed a DC and Warner Brothers plan to produce a pilot for a sitcom called Powerless, which would be a workplace comedy about an insurance company in the DC Universe. Now, at the time, Seven James noted its similarity to a Marvel comic called Damage Control. And just two months later on, ABC have ordered a script for a sitcom based on Damage Control. The show will be written by former Daily Show, Colbert Report and Modern Family writer Ben Carlin, and will follow a construction company that clears up the collateral damage left by superheroes. Uh, Start the betting now on which of those two makes it to series. Over on Premium Cable, HBO have confirmed talks with Zack Snyder about a potential superhero series. But no, this doesn't have anything to do with the current DC Universe. This goes back to Snyder's time directing Watchmen, a property that HBO believes could be translated onto the small screen with Snyder's help. Now apparently these talks took place a few months ago and nothing is actively happening with the projects at the moment. So Alan Moore, you can rest easy for now at least and continue to enjoy the podcast, buddy. S.J. Clarkson has been announced as the director of the first two episodes of Jessica Jones, which are rumoured to be titled A.K.A. Ladies Night and A.K.A. Crush Syndrome. The female director is a Brit who began her career helming episodes of shows such as Doctors and EastEnders before moving on to shows like Life on Mars and Whitechapel. And over in the S, she has overseen episodes of Heroes, Dexter, and more recently, Orange is the New Black. And finally, a fake interview with Lex Luthor has turned up on Fortune's website, profiling the character who is set to appear in Batman v Superman. Dawn of Justice. Uh, tidbits from the piece include details on Luther's businessman father, a reference to his collection of meteorite crystals, uh, a reference to cord industries, perhaps hinting at Blue Beetle's uh, Ted Cord, and veiled references to Superman as a potential threat. We might be seeing a fun viral marketing campaign for that movie starting up here. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. And we will start off with James's replacement recommendation, which is uh, Ghost in the Shell from Masamune Shiro. Um, I have read, uh, so far this, so I haven't read the entire first volume. I think the reason that James was resistant uh, to recommend Ghost in the Shell the first time was that basically it's this big enormous phone book of a thing that would be pretty hard to read in a week um and so what I've basically had to do is just read the first two chapters of both this and Excel Saga rather than the entire first volumes of either. um it's been a busy week I was in New York it was great thanks for asking but so instead I've read the I've read the first two chapters of each of these Um, and so the first two chapters of Ghost in a Shell um the the first is um, a prologue, which kind of sets up um, a little bit about the characters in this world, but basically is uh, pretty much the prologue of the movie, where um, where the major we see her kind of listening into a meeting and communicating with um, Batu and Aramaki, and then going kind of infiltrating this meeting and blowing. The head off um, one of the guys in there. It's it's very dense with dialogue, and the dialogue is all about um, different politicians and diplomats and diplomatic immunity, and it, it it establishes a bit of the the how the kind of technology works as as the film does. But essentially, that first that the prologue, the first chapter, is the prologue to the movie. Now, the second one is kind of like the first mission. The chapter is called Super Spartan. And um, admittedly, I found this, uh, the manga, as difficult, if not more difficult to keep up with than the anime. There's there's a lot going on, and I wasn't always sure what was leading into what, uh, or, or like how one page related to another, or what, what one certain character was doing. Um, but it really kind of gets into full swing when when the the actual mission is revealed, which is there's this kind of um, factory where it, it looked to me like children or at least young men were being um, kept in kind of horrendous conditions and fed horrible food and then given two options. They could either go and work in this factory or they could undergo this kind of education program, which is essentially some kind of mind control, brainwashing kind of thing. Major Kusanagi is kind of sent in to to investigate this, and while she thinks that it might be a setup, because the facility looks like it might be some kind of government facility, she decides that she's going to go in and put a stop to this anyway. In fact, she says, "We made a deal with Apeface, uh, who is Aramaki, their boss, uh, to get rid of the assholes who pull this kind of shit. So let's do it." A little voice is urging me on, my ghost. Um, and so she, 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 kind of goes in regardless and, um, there is lots of action and, um, yeah, event, eventually they, they kind of do put a stop to this and, um, Aramaki when they kind of debrief with him he says yeah it was it was a government brainwashing center um they got out of hand motivated by greed so we made an example of them the two members of parliament who resigned because of this were NATO spies um and then uh Kusanagi kind of has to debrief with the minister of internal affairs to talk about it and he kind of isn't impressed with their kind of gung-ho behavior going in and just you know blasting their way through this situation um and, and the, this leads to my favorite moment of the comic where um kusanagi asks the minister if they can go into a direct if they can be direct wired for a couple of seconds which i think is kind of where they're like dive into each other's brains um that this issue frequently shows people kind of diving into each other's brains and sharing um sharing information and there's the actually the line from the movie about kusanagi's period happens when uh, batu jumps into her brain and she kind of talks about how uncomfortable she is with actually happening but when her and the minister go into um direct wired chat for a couple of seconds she simply takes hold of it control of his fist punches him in the face and then dives back out again um and it's a really funny moment and th- there is a little bit more humor in this than there is in the movie um uh, the the bit about um kusanagi and batu trying to pull a pull a prank on aramaki is in here as well um but basically i think this is all prologue to setting up the main idea of ghost in the shell because aramaki basically comes in and says hey look the the, the minister is furious what's happened and he's disbanded our unit, but he had already passed a budget for some international terrorist unit and basically it's, it's changing the kind of missions that they're going to be going on. And so basically Aramaki says that he has managed to already get the the sign-off on, you know, on forming an international hostage rescue unit, which has a lot more funding than they ever had before. And that he'll have full responsibility of it, and a lot of the budget will go towards a special power suit assault force, which they're basically going to form together. So this is this seems to me to be setting up the status quo of the the comic to continue, or the manga to continue, um, and establish more this team and the the missions that they go off on. Uh, But yeah, it's more comedic and uh, but still very dense and um i, I mean I, sometimes i found kind of individual pages easy enough to follow in terms of what was going on with the action but suddenly i'd go from one page to the next and i'd go oh, what what has been the jump here or why is this character now saying this thing or what actually just happened there why why is this now happening um so, so I did I did struggle with it to an extent. Yeah, and I, I think I preferred the anime. I think I, I did prefer the anime. While that is dense and difficult to keep up with as well, um, it did maybe feel like more my kind of speed. And at this point, um, I would probably be more interested in going watching episodes of the Ghost in the Shell TV show than I would be in continuing to read the manga. And honestly, after I'd finished reading this, I did wonder whether manga was maybe not for me and that I was really going to struggle with it um, in general and wasn't hugely excited about reading Ian's recommendation, which was Excel Saga. Um, and now Excel Saga is written by... Uh, comes from Rick Dokoshi and Jen Kotsu. And... Um, Again I read the first two chapters of this but I, I got a second hand copy of of the manga um, from Amazon fairly cheaply and um I've read the first two vol- the first two chapters of this first volume and I'm going to keep reading cuz um it's really fantastic <laughs> it's it's really really good um so Excel Saga is about these um these two characters and it's kind of like a Pinky in the Brain setup. If ever, if anyone remembers the old Animaniacs cartoon, Pinky in the Brain. Um, so, uh, XL is this young girl who works for um, a character called Il Palazzo, and Il Palazzo is kind of like this dreamy um, guy who wants to take over the world, basically, or or at least to begin with, lead a conquest of the city that they en- that they're in, the Japanese city. Um, and in the first two volumes, Il Palazzo and Excel are kind of like planning missions to of uh, how they're going to take over the world. And the first one kind of involves this old lady. We start watching this old film strip of this old woman, except it never comes to anything because Excel gets a phone call from her part-time job and has to leave. And while Il Palazzo have the, has these delusions of grandeur, um, he and Excel are the only people that work for him, and Excel is not the brightest of buttons. Uh, she's very enthusiastic and very funny, but she's... Um, she she doesn't seem someone who would be too effective at the the, the old um, world domination game. Um, there is there are there are pages which kind of explain the two characters um, at the end of the first mission, and we learn that there are seven secrets of Excel. Her name is a mystery. Her age is a mystery. Her birthplace and where she grew up are mysteries. That strange outfit is certainly a mystery. Everything about her past and how she came to be is a mystery. It's also a mystery how someone as incompetent as her got to be the protagonist. How she climbs out of that trapdoor chute is a real mystery because Il Palazzo keeps dropping her down a trapdoor which has different things in the bottom each time like toads and baboons. Um, it is completely mysterious how she came to belong to a cross which is the name of the villainous organisation. Crap, we got eight mysteries. I wonder if they saw this coming. Um yeah that that that's pretty pretty representative of the tone of this um really heavily comedic and in the second issue um they are trying to make um another evil plan and uh, <laughs> this plan goes to they're talking about like what would, what would be a way that they could educate children to make them enlightened citizens who would um, eventually accept the rulership of the righteous leader. And um, Excel decides that they need to enrich their hearts and that they could enrich their hearts from enriched meals. Um, But that plan doesn't come to fruition. And Excel goes off on another job. Um, Now her part-time job in the first issue, she is directing traffic, except she gets very distracted by thoughts of world domination and ends up causing an enormous car crash. And the second issue, she is um, a delivery girl on a bike, um, except there is lots of flooding in the city and she gets distracted by a little dog that she finds and keeps and calls Mince um, and decides not to eat because apparently she likes to eat dogs sometimes and um, <laughs> and kind of gets distracted by that and... Um, yeah, like I said, I just got a real Pinky in the Brain vibe off of this. Um, th- there seems to be a little bit of maybe Harley Quinn to Excel in, in that she's kind of just like giddy and childlike and dedicated to this this male character who is who has got kind of larger plans maybe than she does. Um, but yeah, mostly Pinky in the Brain because these plans they start to form a plan and then just everything everything doesn't come to fruition and they go off and do some stuff instead. And actually, in the end of the second issue she or the second chapter, she ends up um after getting flushed out of Il palazzo's um, headquarters after it's flooded by opening the trapdoor. She ends up in the ocean and onto a ship and she is um basically assumed to be an immigrant and brought in for questioning and because the mysteries of her name and and her age and her um and her place of birth she are all a mystery she can 't tell them where she 's from. Uh, so they assume she is uh, an illegal immigrant. And I got the sense that from this uh, that actually there was going to be quite a lot of um, kind of society satire that, yes, these. These two characters want to take over society, and I th- and I, I think there is going to be a third character introduced um, called Hayat, just from the from the next page after the end of the second chapter. But I'll have to read on um, because they they do keep talking about recruiting extra members to this villainous organization because um, Excel is only an unpaid intern and they need another one. But yeah, I got the I got the impression that there's going to be quite a lot of um, satire of society in here, and that maybe that a lot of it will relate specifically. To Japanese society, which might go over my head, but um, but that also that there was some, some broader stuff there as well, and also some some kind of parody of um, more ghost in a shell types of manga. These these going off on missions every week, um, except yeah because this is more comedic. They, they never quite go to plan. But yeah, so I thought XL Saga was uh, fantastic and I'll be at the very least um, continuing to read this volume and um, and maybe more after that. Ghost in the Shell, um, probably not, but who knows? Maybe the TV show at some point. And like I said, I think I will have to re-watch the uh, anime at some point just to, just to fully get my head around that, um, even after our hour-long discussion last week. Um, But that is it for this week. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be going back to superhero movies with X-Men First Class. Matthew Vaughan's X-Men First Class. Um, If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review, and we'll give you a shout-out on a future show. You can find episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com or as we're a Film divider podcast at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week.